Welcome to the Mad Pastors Podcast, the honest podcast for honest pastors, powered by G6 Allies, because everybody needs an ally. Buckle up, Buttercup. It's time for the Mad Pastors Podcast. I'm Ian. I'm Antonio. And and we have a crisis of identity. And, and here, normally, it's Michael. I always wondered what it would be like to be Antonio, and, mm. and now I know. You didn't so. take your medicine today, did you? Nope. <laughs> Antonio doesn't take medicine. <laughs> Clearly not. Uh, but we are, uh, listen, we are excited to be here where, hey, the talk is always honest, the coffee's always hot, and uh, so are the hosts. So all that to say, uh, we are super excited to jump back in uh, to talking about the thing that nobody wants to do, but everybody seems to have, and that's conflict. So we're uh, we're pumped. We have a, a one of our resources that is called Managing Conflict, uh, Conflict Management, how to how to walk through conflict with other people. And so we really believe whether you are a pastor, you could be a lay leader like Antonio, um, you could be, you know, if you're new to the podcast. My real name is Michael, but well, is it though? Uh, <laughs> either he identifies as Antonio, but either way. Um, we, we really want to sit down and look at, it doesn't matter if you are a pastor, uh, a lay leader, which I don't even like that term because it just sounds a little archaic, but what, if you're just a volunteer who serves and shepherds people, a small group leader, all the way to maybe you are a uh, new to the faith or a church member and you say, Hey, I need to, I want to be healthy and I want to be able to, um, interact with my church in a healthy way. Well, that's what we're here for. And so, uh, we really believe that we're all called to aspire uh, to the office of an elder or an overseer, and that means shepherding and loving people, and that's part of discipleship. So welcome. That was a long intro, but welcome, and we're excited to be diving in. Uh, this is our third podcast on uh, conflict right now, so if you're new, welcome, um, and if you are old <laughs> to, to us, um, listen, thank you for mature. staying here with us. Yeah, if you're mature, if you're vintage. If you're, if you're an OG mad pastor, um, we are really excited about this. And, and just so you know, we're not jumping in halfway. Um, these We believe these podcasts can stand on their own. But at the same time, uh, jump back a couple podcasts and, and check into where we're at on conflict. So we're going to dive in, I think, to really the heart of conflict and what this looks like. And we talked about uh, our perspective change a couple podcasts ago and how we need to view this these things and view conflict as an opportunity uh, to allow uh, Christ to be known and to his redemptive power uh, in the middle of a situation rather than viewing it as an obstacle to overcome or beat somebody down and walk over. And that's that tends to be, if you live in the 21st century anywhere and you don't live under a rock, that right now is the world that we live in. It conflict is about me getting my point across and I don't, I don't want to hear about it from you and you are an obstacle for me. Uh, and it's a, it's a game to win at. And so for us, we believe that conflict, which is something that we work in almost like an artist works in clay so often, especially in the church. And honestly, Michael, I think the church has probably one of the worst reputations for conflict management, uh, right now, especially that we tend to, people tend to view the church as backbiters or two-faced or, you know, and I think that there's some... And they would be right most of the time. Very true. <laughs> it's, I think, and I've always believed this. Now, I'm not going to rant on the church. Neither are we. We love the church. That's why we do what we do. But 
I think that there is there's definitely a truth that if we were a company, a Fortune 500 company, our goal would be the bottom line, most likely. But in the church, the bottom line is the heart, and the heart is wicked above all else. And so, you know, when people tell me, well, I think the church is full of hypocrites, my response is, you're right, <laughs> it is. And thank God that he puts up with us and that, you know, we are slowly but surely working through a very deceitful and wicked truth about ourselves and our hearts. And so I don't think that the brokenness of the church is something to be discouraged at as much as it's something to be worked on. And we need to be we need to be okay and secure enough to say, you know what, Christ saved me in my brokenness and I contribute to that problem, but thank God I don't have to stay there and that we're all works in progress. And so we want to view them as opportunities. We also talked last week, uh, that the last podcast that we did this on um, reflecting. If you have the opportunity, we don't always, but most conflict, you don't have to be baited into jumping into a conflict immediately that you can say, hey, let's meet in a couple of days or let's meet later or this isn't the time and the place. And there are rules, uh, almost self rules and principles to say, I need to reflect on and make sure my heart is right. But now we jump into the big part of it, the crux of it. And that is uh, how do we respond to conflict? And and we're going to kind of look at a few different things. We're going to talk about what happens when we don't respond to conflict uh, by looking at a pretty amazing case study in God's word. Uh, and then we're going to step into principles for us to handle conflict in a godly manner. I think that we, before we kick it all off, we just need to be honest here and admit whether you're driving down the road and you're trying to, to grow as you drive or you're sitting in your office. Um, whoever said sticks and stones may break my bones, but names can never hurt me or words can never hurt me was clearly high on something <laughs> and smoking some crack and not reading the Bible and because God's word doesn't say that at all. Yeah. Our words matter a lot deeply. And so we need to be cautious in the words that we, that we use. And I think it was Dietrich Bonhoeffer who said, you ought to be able to justify every syllable that comes out of your mouth. Yeah. So giving thought to what it is that you have to say is of paramount importance when it comes to life in general, but especially when you're going into a, a, a situation that has conflict or where you anticipate there might be conflict. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's where you want to be especially on alert that, mm. hey, the words that I'm using right now matter a great deal, and how I'm using them matters. We, we almost become, you know, desensitized. Normal can be a very dangerous word, Um Normal can make even toxic things, uh, you know, be commonplace in our lives. And, and that's a whole other discussion, rabbit hole. But I think some of us have become very accustomed to using those words. And God's word is very clear that God has given it that speech itself. I mean, it says the tongue is a restless evil. We're going to talk about these things uh, even on this podcast. But the tongue is a restless evil. It says that words have the power of life and death. Uh, Edmund Burke, I think, you know, to use this quote in a slightly different way. I think Edmund Burke said, the greater the power, the more dangerous the abuse. And I, more often than not now, especially in our day and age, and I think that it's always been this way because it wouldn't have been in God's word millennia ago if it wasn't. Um, but we tend to be abused people who abuse people when it comes to words. And, uh, you know, the idea of having almost a, a PTSD 
like response to different words and different things. And, you know, you, you think about things that are commonplace, that's like sarcasm. I mean, in the church, we, we praise sarcasm in a lot of churches and a lot of places. Um, and there's a place for jokes, but in general, the word sarcasm, I mean, the etymology of the word literally means to tear the flesh of somebody. And, you know, sarcasm and hateful things. And, you know, we spend most of our time trying to uh, win and be right rather than actually be right mm -hmm. in our hearts. And so I think that this is a really, really poignant Yeah, thing. Uh, Bob Berg in his book, um, Adversaries into Allies, oh, Bob. says that if you have to say, I'm just joking, then it probably wasn't funny in the first place. Ah, that's a good point. <laughs> so, Although yeah, I do we, have to say that often. We, <laughs> and, and that fits right in with sarcasm, doesn't yep. it? That, yeah. That we, we say things in a very passive-aggressive way, cutting things that we kind of make as a joke, but we're trying to really communicate something else. Yeah. And then when people get upset, well, I'm just joking. Okay, well, then... It probably well, wasn't worth saying in and, the first place. And even for a joke, at least to not be, the way that you said it. Yeah, and and even for a joke to be funny, there's got to be a little truth there's in it. Some element of truth. Yeah, it. and but and and here's where I think we need to make a big distinction. Um, one, when you're driving, you probably, if you are a contemplative person at all, uh, you are probably hearing this, and you can think about words that just set you off and and hit you. And I hate to use this term because of where it gets taken, but a trigger word almost. I mean, you when you talk with people in conversations, I I do this. I mean, we've come from some pretty unhealthy churches, which is why G6 Allies exists, is to help build healthy churches and healthy leadership. But, you know, there are certain things that it's really hard for me because I hear things through the filter of men and women who uh, were incredibly hateful or weren't healthy in how they handled conflict. And so there are a lot of words or tones or expressions that are difficult. And I think We've got to be willing to acknowledge that. And even to the point of saying, you know what? I haven't been in some very healthy places. Um, and so, you know, I don't think that we need to, I think that the opposite of scripture is to live in a trigger word culture where we don't ever talk about anything because it could offend somebody. That's a different type of thing than having something just grab a hold of us. And, and I think that anybody that's ever dealt with conflict knows this. You say something and you're not even careless, you may be intentional, and somebody just takes it the whole wrong way. And, and we're going to navigate some of that, right? I, I think you need to understand in conflict, you got to be secure enough and breathe in and out to to know that it's like it's almost like a boxing match. It's not that we're trying to win or beat somebody up, but there's a lot of footwork and a lot of moving in conversations where you have to be very strategic and, and kind of read the other person. Maybe it's better to say that it's like a dance, where you have to read where somebody's moving and to say, okay, I see that they're responding here, and I don't want to go down that road. So let me let me ebb and flow in this direction. And so I'm excited to dive into that, um, man. But this we could probably fill a novel with stories of conflict, <laughs> you know. And we'll talk yeah. about some of those today. Um, but we're we're ready to dive in and to and to hear what God is saying to us and you. We're going to be heavy on Scripture too this round. Um, so let's just let's dive right in, Michael, uh, to a case study. We have a pretty interesting case study here on somebody that you wouldn't assume, uh, maybe at first, but straight out of, of Scripture of what happens, because here's what I think is the most toxic thing I see in churches, and serving in so many of them, growing up in them, um, you, the same for you, is delaying uh, conflict. 
and just staying away from it. So let's just let's go ahead and start that. What happens when we delay conflict? Well, uh, let's let's set the set the context of what scripture we're going to look at here. Yeah, you know the the two books of Samuel mm-hmm. are my favorites in the entire Bible. I just yeah. I, I love all the the stories. Antonio's in favorites or your favorites? Uh, yeah, both probably. <laughs> my okay. favorite's First Samuel. Antonio's is Second Samuel, so mm. it works out. Mm. Uh, but I love those books because there's just so many great stories in there, so many yeah. great principles. It's just interesting. There's there's battle. There's love. There's mm. deception. There's evil. There's all this great stuff that makes for great stories captured in these two books, right? It's like and, the Count of Monte Cristo, but in the Bible. Yes. I don't know. It sounded like you were describing it. So keep going. Okay. Um, and but in this in these books, um, you know, that's where we're introduced to David, and yeah. we see, you know, David's rise to the throne of Israel and a lot of the things that David did and where he leaned on the Lord to provide for him and to bless him and to take care of him and all of that great stuff happened. And then you get into the later part of 2 Samuel when when David's older, he's got kids who have grown up and yeah. and it's like the wheels just fall <laughs> off. And, and so the story we're going to discuss today you can find in second samuel 13 through 19 yeah and it's uh primarily focused around david's son absalom and part of what we even did in in our conflict resources we took those six chapters of god's word and and really looked at it almost like you would look at a a biography or a case study of somebody's life and well you know and almost the same way you'd look at almost an exegetical sermon but kind of broke it down in a different way and wanted to look at because this is like you said, this is the the beginning of the golden age of Israel with David and um and they're prospering and they're growing. And then yeah, like what you go, what in the world just happened? This is you know, even David's had an affair. He's pretty much murdered a man and he's done all these things, and you would think he'd learn. You would think that's the bottom of the barrel, <laughs> but no, it gets worse. <laughs> right. Uh so what we have happening here, if you're not familiar with that story, definitely encourage you to go read yeah. the Samuel books. But in this one, one of David's sons, Amnon, uh, is very attracted to his half-sister, Tamar, mm. and ends up raping her. It plays out a lot and, like Maury or yeah, Jerry I mean, it's Springer. Just absolute crazy stuff happening. Yeah. And Absalom, another bro- a brother to Tamar, yeah. finds out about it and... He's irate, but he doesn't address Amnon directly. He doesn't say anything to him for like two years. Yeah. And then he devises this plot and gets Amnon alone and and has him killed. Mm -hmm. And so here you got David. His kids are literally killing, raping and killing each other. Yeah. Uh, and and this is this is the king of God's chosen people, right? The man is, after God's own this heart. This is the nation of Israel. This is what's happening. Yeah. And so I think the first thing we need to recognize is that conflict is going to be an unavoidable consequence of sin in our world. It, it right. just is going to happen. It doesn't matter what church you're a part of, what religious family you're a part of, where you come from, what your background is, what your position is. You're going to experience conflict because we live in this broken world. Yeah. Well, and you would, I mean, you look at this situation and and honestly, Absalom, who at this point, he's the hero of the story to me. 
he is justly angry. I mean, this is a despicable thing. His he he his brother rapes his sister, and Absalom goes and takes his sister to his house and takes care of her and watches out for her. And and you ex- expect that David would do something, and it's just crickets mm-hmm. and it's silent. Well, and and. I'm not sure I would count Absalom the hero either because he does the exact same thing. Well, he, that's true. In fact, yeah. he it even says that he didn't speak to Amnon either good or bad. Like he completely yeah. ignores two years. this guy for yeah. two years. Yeah. And so for two years, you just sit on it and you don't say anything about this terrible atrocity that's happened to your sister. That's not handling conflict well either. That's true. Um, and so, yeah, there, there's problems all around, right? And and so this yeah. this refusing to address or to manage uh, the conflict for them as well as for us. Now, our scenario might not be, hopefully it's not as severe as what sure. they were facing, but failing to address it never leads to growth it never leads to resolution it never leads to things profitable we got to well, learn to address it it leaves you i mean genuinely if you are, and i've i've watched this happen in my own life i've seen this happen very often in the lives of pastors and especially just just sheep in your in your flock and people that you're you're in your church that you're serving and investing in and shepherding is that um there when when you don't deal with conflict there is an arrested development in your relationship and, you know, I'm not a counselor, I'm not a psychologist, so I'm sure there are many, you know, ideas behind and, and a lot of uh, principles to arrested development. But I've never seen a relationship grow and flourish with un, unresolved conflict because you you do what Absalom does or you do what David does and you just stop. And the person who is maybe wrong, more wrong than anywhere at this point, I'm not clearly just 100% wrong, which is a rarity, but he's very wrong and you don't, they don't they're not forced to confront that or deal with that issue. You're not confronting them and, and allowing what is clearly a conviction in your heart to be aired out. And so you just stop there. And the problem is that you can't just stop and stay where you're at. It will unavoidably grow and grow and become a root of bitterness in you. Yeah. And this story captures all that very well. I mean, we have this one horrendous yeah. act of, of Amnon raping his sister Mm-hmm. And then the next four chapters are just terrible thing after terrible thing <laughs> after terrible worse thing. And worse. It just the snowball just grows and it gets bigger and the whole family is so divided to the point where eventually yeah. Absalom and David go to war with each other oh. over yeah. the over the throne of, of Israel. Yeah. And it just it gets it gets really, really bad. Amnon does die in there, spoiler alert for you. <laughs> he gets hung yeah. by his own donkey, so there's that. I mean that's it's kind of crazy stuff mm-hmm. happening. You mean Absalom? Um, uh, I think you just said Amnon. Oh yes, yes. Absalom yeah. gets gets hung by his own. He got some there. of that big hair. Yeah. But, the, uh, but uh, well, and it's but at the end of it too, it this unresolved conflict has not only embroiled a kingdom and the lives of all these people and caused a massive issue. And you may say, well, my conflict with my neighbor is not a big deal. No, it has big ripple effects too. But what's interesting and sad at all at the same time is that it breaks David's heart. It breaks the hearts of all of those involved in his family. It really tears so much of his family apart. But I mean, it tells us that uh, I think the big one of the the second big principles that refusing to address or manage conflict in our lives never leads to growth. And, you know, we might agree with that theoretically, but Michael, you and I've both seen pastors and worked underneath them and and served in churches where the actual, the, the principles of leadership were about not 
being in conflict rather than dealing with a healthy, right? Yeah, like like the absence of conflict is a sign of success. Yeah, uh, yeah. And, and that's not the case at all. And your leadership, the effectiveness of your leadership has to do with how little conflict there is in your ministry. And, you know, I just, I remember, I've, I've had multiple pastors this way, but one pastor early on in my ministry was so conflict averse um, that we had two, honestly, in general, I was so, I've been so thankful for that ministry, not for the leadership I had to endure, but for the people that I served with and the friendship and the allies, many of them stayed with me today. Uh, but we had some incredibly, we had one incredibly unhealthy leader in the five, four or five years I was at that church. Um, and it was about a six to eight month period we were dealing with her. And it was just essentially the problem very quickly was she found her, her I was a student pastor and she found her identity in her kids. And if you've been in ministry very long, you're going to realize this is not an over-exaggeration. She would feed them less than truth or oftentimes lies about myself or others that would keep them more focused on her than on us. And so when I went to one of my pastors or to the the executive pastor, I said, hey, I'm struggling here to uh, to deal with this person his his advice to me that went on for months until I finally had to have a really rough conversation with four people involved and her was, hey, man, just outgrow her. And I said, what does that mean? And he said, you don't you don't you're worrying about all this conflict. You don't have to worry about dealing with that. The more you grow this ministry, people like her are just going to fall away. You'll just drown her out. Exactly. And it would. And can I just say, if that's your uh, strategy in life, it isn't working. Even if you're not running into problems, it isn't working. Don't do that because it not only hurt other leaders around her and caused major problems, but it was incredibly difficult for her. But yeah, it's not that's not loving to her. No, to let her continue to do that. What's the next principle on this, though? So Michael? the next thing we need to think about is how important outside counsel can be. That mm-hmm. you can find wisdom in others speaking into it. Now that that doesn't mean that. You know, you need somebody to fight your battles for you, or they sure. need to be there and hold your hand as you go through it. But gaining some perspective from an outside source is yeah. is going to be incredibly helpful. And 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 we see that with David in this in this passage as well, where uh, kind of undercover they send in this woman who gives David this story, you know, about mm-hmm. uh, hey, my two sons were fighting in a field and <laughs> one of them killed the other one, right. and now they're trying to kill the other one, and I won't have any namesake left, and and which is not the first time this approach has been taken no, with. It's interesting, David, right? isn't it? Yeah, um, and and I think that tells us that tells us a couple of things. One, it's an outside source speaking into it, but two. For some reason, within the human brain, it's a lot easier for us to identify and to respond and to, and to diagnose conflict mm-hmm. and, and resolve problems yeah. outside of our own immediate context. It's a lot harder yeah. for us to see it, and, and sometimes we have to have that outside source speaking to it saying, hey, dummy, stop doing <laughs> this, or uh, you need to approach this differently, or look out, this is coming, you've got to address this. It should give us some hope, too, that... Self-awareness is a really difficult thing to learn and to be good at, I think. But yeah, David does this with, after he murders somebody. You would think that that'd be pretty obvious. Right. <laughs> but, and, or you would, at this point, like, this is just how difficult it is, but you'd think David would be like, okay, this story sounds real familiar, but he never gets no, there. He never gets there. 
So, but he, but once, once she finally explains to him, okay, yeah, Joab put me up to this, and yeah. and here's what's happening. Then he's like, okay, go bring my estranged son Absalom back yeah. to Jerusalem. I'm still not going to speak to him for the next two years. Yeah. So here's another two year period of. We're not going to address it. We're just going to let the elephant in the city of Jerusalem be there and not going to not going to address these things. Yeah. Uh, which during that time, again, we see the snowball and the ripple effects because Absalom is is going around drumming up his support for himself. And it's where he really kind of starts yeah. staging the coup, which and Absalom, the wheels fall off of him, too. Right. I mean, oh, he's, no he's staging this coup against the king. He even burns down his neighbor's property to get attention. Uh, it's just, oh, this guy just goes crazy. He goes crazy, but I think that here's there's a couple of good principles we pull out of this. One, every one of us, if you have conflict with somebody, go to maybe one or two trusted people. But if you're just, this is what Absalom does. He immediately goes, you know what? I disagree with my dad, so I'm going to go find a bunch of people to agree with me yep. and to build my, and that's what we, I'm telling you, I see it everywhere. If you, if you want to, and if you want to self-justify and say, well, this happened over years, well, just think back to how long we let conflict lie and grow. And I think that one conflict is, goes on way longer than we ever intend it to. And it's easy to do that. But yeah. If we're looking, we don't need to look for people to just, and I, I've had this happen so many times in churches where I, I tend to do that with people. I want to go find as many allies as I can. And I, you kind of bastardize the word ally to mean, I just want people to agree with me. And that's not mm-hmm. what an ally is, but you try and find people to agree with you, or I've been gossiped about and had things spread about me by staff members. And then I got to go to other people and talk with them and say, Hey, none of that's true. I'm so sorry. So that's a very dangerous tactic that's very easy for us to do. And and what it ultimately does is it allows bitterness to fester and to develop yes. and to grow. And, and this is where we need to remember the words of Hebrews 12 mm. uh, when it says to make sure that no root of bitterness springs up, which causes trouble yeah. and, and it defiles many or you know all those around you. Anybody involved, bitterness is going yes. to... to destroy them or affect them negatively in some way. So so don't let that happen. There's so much depth to that passage too, just because, you know, the more that I've thought about that, this idea of roots, roots filter everything and every kind of nourishment we get. And they eventually make it so much difficult, so much more difficult to pull anything out and deroot. And so right. uh yeah. And and so we we kind of see now what it looks like if from scripture, if we don't deal with conflict, right? Yeah. I think that's big, but let's dive into the main portion uh, for today. And that is how do we respond? All right. Listen, there would not be enough books. I don't feel like in history, because if you look at all the books on conflict and managing things, we didn't set out and we're not setting out on this podcast or in our resources to say we've written the full, complete, definitive flow chart on how to handle every situation. If we could do that, billion dollar idea, yeah. okay? But here's, we believe that, and I believe that principles are few and methods are many. And principles don't change and methods do. And so we really wanted to set out and give you a guide based off the principles of scripture to say, hey, when I'm in the middle of something, um, I, I when I'm in the middle of conflict, I need to remember these few things and that's going to help me deal with each specific situation. Yeah, we've 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 reflected, right? That was that was yep. step 1 in the process. Mm-hmm. We've we've thought through it. We've uh identified our own 
weak points. We've asked ourselves those questions that we gave you in the last podcast. Yeah. And and now comes the time for action, right? And this is how we're going to actually address the things and we're going to respond to the situation at hand. And so, yeah, we need to be um, well prepared for this and we need to be aware of everything that's going on. Um, this is this is where the majority of our worry is spent. Um, the ma- vast majority of worry about this moment, if we're somebody that worries, or very little prep. Oh yeah, this, so. this is where you get the pit in your stomach yep. and and the cold. And it's usually sweats, ten minutes before. Yeah, <gasps> you get super nervous and, and you start second guessing yourself, and which is why that reflection process is so important, right? That right. it allows you to gain confidence and awareness of the situation. So that you can go into it with the right frame of mind, yes, and, and you have to carry that out. So you know you can't just think about it and think, okay, this is this is what is going on, and here's how I ought to respond. And then you sit down with them, and the first crossword that is said to you that <laughs> well, just your goes mom out the too. window, and and you just <laughs> unleash right like that. Right. That's not helpful. So sticking to that game plan is is a crucial part of responding. And so let's let's uh, <laughs> let's talk for a few minutes, Ian, about. The power of our words. We, mm. We've said a couple times now that yes. the words we use matter and how we say things matter. Let's talk about that a little bit. So I think that uh, I think Thomas Sowell probably gives us a great amount of wisdom uh, in this because we believe all truth is God's truth. And I think this is mirrored. We'll talk about it in scripture. But I love what he says. He says, when you want to help people, you tell them the truth. When you want to help yourself, you tell them what they want to hear. And for us, most of the time in conflict, we incorrectly assume that it's a balancing act between uh, telling people a harsh truth and then telling them a bunch of things that aren't really true or germane to what we're talking about in hopes to bolster them up. So we kind of mix it up, and that's not healthy conflict at all. That's the kind of conflict that makes the highlight reel of the American Idol auditions, right? (laughs) Where Mm -hmm. we've told people a bunch of stuff. And with that quote by Soul in mind, which I think is very wise and brilliant, um, Scripture is incredibly clear that the words we use have incredible ramifications. And so, I mean, even the beginning, I want you to think about all the things that we post. We're always looking for something to say. And in most of the time in conflict, we're waiting for people to be done talking so we can talk rather than listening and hearing from them so that we can respond. Or we don't even wait for them to finish. We just cut them off and talk well, over them. Yeah. See, whoever talks loudest wins. Like right? any Fox or CNN show mm-hmm. or SNBC. Well, here's how Proverbs ten nineteen says it. When there are many words, sin is unavoidable, but one who controls his lips is prudent. I love uh, in Proverbs later on as well. And if it tells you anything about me and my struggles in life, my parents made me memorize in Proverbs where it says that even a fool is thought wise when he keeps silent and discerning when he holds his tongue. And there's this idea that it's, it's, it's not about not ever speaking, but it's about understanding. Uh, essentially, if you're, if you're a gun person, it's about uh, practicing proper safety with your gun and believing that. Uh, and, and having barrel or muzzle control and knowing where you're pointing it and what you're doing at any time. And so knowing that our words carry such weight that we're going to spend more time in silence contemplating those, much like Bonhoeffer said, so that every syllable we say is important. And the more that we, it doesn't take long to look at Facebook or uh, Twitter or Instagram or any of those things, or even talk and do student ministry or adult ministry to realize that People feel like if I am not heard in my entirety, 
then I'm not valued. Yeah. And that is 100% not and, the truth. And I th- I think one another takeaway we can draw from this Proverbs passage is that sometimes the most important thing that you say is what is left unsaid. Exactly. And, and I, I can think of an example that when that happened in real life to, to me, um, I was working at a larger church with several layers of of senior leadership. Yeah. And so my my boss was not doing a great job and was was struggling and and was just a lot of a lot of his staff members were unhappy with him and just some, some things were really off. Sure. And my boss's boss came to me. He approached me and asked if we could sit down and talk about some of those situations. Hmm. And so we we had a good a good honest conversation about it yeah uh and and then ended the meeting and went on with our way and a couple months later after a lot of that stuff had been addressed and fixed and a couple months later my boss's boss came to me again and said hey i just want to say remember that conversation we had a couple months ago um the thing that most impressed me about that conversation was what you didn't say about your boss you didn't throw him under the bus. You didn't. You didn't talk bad about him to me. He wasn't in the room, so you you, you communicated your concerns yeah. without throwing him under the bus, mm-hmm. and that was that was a job well done. You you handled that really well, and so that that kind of stuff does matter, right? Well, like, so when you no get doubt. into a conflict, you don't have to air every grievance. You don't have to say <laughs> everything, and you don't have to drive. You know, every conflict should not be a Machiavellian type of a scenario where right. your goal is to completely pulverize your enemy where they have no chance of getting back up. That that Which should is not often be what it becomes. That's how that's how we do it because yeah. we want to make sure that we have the upper hand, mm-hmm. and and that that ought not be how we as Christ followers ought to behave. Well, and, and to and to flip that, and because I think a lot of us will go, well, it, it was important that I say all these things, and, and that's going to be our justification. But it would be mine. It is mine sometimes as well. What I think about how much I can fit into a conversation, I think a good way to remember it too is, because I had a pastor come to me one time, and he said, you know, I had a lot of guys bad-mouthing me at one point, and I heard about it later, and I had two good friends in the room. And he said, and I addressed him, and I said, hey, why didn't you defend me? And they said, well, well, we didn't say anything negative about you. We didn't say anything at all. And then he looked at him and said, it's not that you didn't say anything. It's that you didn't back up my character and speak towards me. And I think that if you want to take the principle you just said and flip it around, I think we need to say, okay, what left unsaid speaks the most when I'm in that kind of a situation. And I think that that's huge because we'd all want somebody to defend us or to speak well of us or to not just certainly trash us. And I think that, and when we also are in conflict with other people, we need to pay attention to what they don't say the same way your boss did with you. I thought that's very, it shows a lot of wisdom on his part to say, I was paying attention to everything being said, which I think leads into, you know, we all, most of us are aware of James three and all of James three speaks of our tongue in a pretty negative light. Um, mm-hmm. It's that, you know, much like it's, you know, it talks about, he, he likens our tongue to, the bit that you put in a horse's mouth, the bits are tiny, um, but horses are huge. It talks about how, and, and we can control them. It talks about how our tongue is like a rudder on a ship, which is so tiny in proportion to the size of the ship. And yet it controls uh, whichever way it turns. And then the biggest one 
that I think so accurately uh, talks to us is the tongue is like a fire. And it it's like setting a forest ablaze. It only takes a spark to do that. And I see a lot of people that their lives are on fire so often because we struggle. And it's just a restless evil for us to use those words. And I think what we're saying here really, it, I think James 119 does a great job mm-hmm. for this first principle. And that is the first thing you can do when responding to conflict, no matter what side you're on. Okay. So whether you're the that I don't want to use this word, but sometimes we feel this way, inferior, or you're the superior, or you're just a friend, or whatever it may be, no matter what side you're on, is slow down and choose to listen first. Yeah, everyone be slow, uh, quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry, right? That's what, yes. that's what James 1.9... Before he us. even gets to all the evils of the tongue, that's his first, and this is that was pretty much the situation the church uh, around Israel and the Jewish church was struggling with. They were constantly trying to change their circumstances rather than trust God in the midst of them. And James' statement is, hey, you need to just slow down and listen. Yeah, so slow down and listen, yep. right? That's 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 the first thing we do. But then when we do speak, uh, that's where we need to, to heed the words of Proverbs 15, right? Mm-hmm. The, a gentle answer turns away anger, but a harsh word stirs up wrath. So yeah. be gentle and direct when you're telling people the truth. You know, you're, yeah. you're speaking about those things that are happening and, yeah. and you're addressing the conflict, but you're doing so in a way that's gentle uh, so that you're not stirring up anger. But we usually, as believers, which is really sad, reflection of Scripture, we don't usually say gentle and direct we say, be gentle, but direct. And we, and, and it's kind of a, we view these as mutually exclusive yes, things. Right. And they are not, are they? No, they, they go, they go hand in hand yeah. uh, much more frequently than they do. Well, one, I being think opposed to one another. <laughs> no doubt. I think one great way is that gentleness acts as a filter by which what we say and how we say it and directness should act as um, a, a truth meter for us to say, is it true and is it right? And we also need to just make sure that when we're speaking and when we're uh, speaking about things, we're not trying to address every shortcoming and failure Mm -hmm. of this person, but we're keeping it, directness should keep it focused on that truth. You know, one, I think one interesting thing is, and this happens a lot in churches because of this, but in his book, uh, How How Full Is Your Bucket? Don Clifton uh, wrote, I think, a very, it's an excellent book. It's a very short read. It's, less, it's 80 pages, all right? And we'll, we'll put a link to it in yeah, the show notes. It's excellent. But I think it's, it's all about having positive interactions with people. Uh, but even in a book that is 100% about positivity, and this was written for corporate America, um, and very few people are probably on the end of being over positive, I think the church often is. And it's not a good positive. It is a, it's a failure to be truthful and honest. And so he's talking and he talks about this, a very important ratio in the workplace to be productive is he said, one study found that work groups with positive to negative interactions, interaction ratios greater than three to one are significantly more productive than teams that do not reach this ratio. Fredrickson and Losada's mathematical modeling of positive to negative ratios, however, also suggests the existence of an upper limit 
things can worsen if the ratio goes higher than 13 to 1. So while this book primarily focuses on ways to increase positive emotions, it's important to note that we don't recommend ignoring negativity and weakness. Positivity must be grounded in reality. A Pollyanna approach in which the negative is completely ignored can result in a false optimism that's counterproductive and sometimes downright annoying. I think that uh, for us in church, it's often I've had some of the biggest struggles with people that when you try and address something real in, in a loving way, but in a direct way, the way that we we jump off. If you remember the old Disney movie, Pollyanna, you know, this girl is always positive and always sweet and then ends up getting in a accident where she loses the use of her legs. And then like the movie ends with her going, it's OK. I'm blah, blah, you know, And you're like. No, no, no. At one point, you need to be concerned that you tried to climb out a window to go to the fair <laughs> and you and you ended up being paralyzed. So, you know, for us as believers, it is equally, if not worse for us in our interactions, if we are like Pollyanna and we and so being gentle and telling being gentle and direct and telling the truth are keys and hallmarks. They're not exclusive. Yeah. And and so while we're going to be gentle and we're going to be direct and we're going to listen First, uh, there's a handful of other principles that we give you in this uh, in this resource, which we won't dive into all of them yeah. in this in this podcast. But those are some of the key things that we need to understand. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I, I want to just highlight one more uh, for us, uh, and that's Proverbs eighteen twenty one. It's great, one. which says, "Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit." So let's let's choose words that give life. Yes. Let's let's make sure that whatever conflicting situation we're in, whatever conversation that we're having, that it's not a conversation where we leave where a relationship is now dead or yeah. a relationship is ruined or damaged or severely impaired that that conversation is ended and you walk away from that conversation thinking all right, we understand one another better now. Yeah. We are healthier. Our our relationship is more alive than it has ever been. Right. That's that's the ideal behind healthy conflict, right? Well, and and I think a great way to think about it is are the words that you're speaking are they words that bring hope or are they words that bring finality? And we've all been in those meetings. I've been in those meetings where when somebody's talking to you about even a minor issue, they make statements like don't blow it now or well, you know, th- this could this could really be terrible. This could be the end for you. And those things do nothing but shut us off or make us angry or make us feel like it's futile. And those are words of futility. And I think Proverbs is speaking to us to say things like, hey, you're doing so well. I just don't want this to get in your way. And so I'm telling you this because I think it's really important. And you, you know, may have been misunderstood, but listen, you got a bright future. This is just one way to help direct that. I mean, there are words, even in the gospel, so many of us work, and maybe we grew up in homes like this or our churches like this, where we lean more on guilt and shame, which is not of God. And we think we can shame people into things or beat mm-hmm. them into things. Uh, when scripture is telling us, no, conviction always brings hope. It never brings finality. And that's how you know it's from the Holy Spirit and it's not from the enemy, is that you can say, I'm in the midst of the worst place I've ever been in my life, and yet... Christ is saying, hey, this is wrong, but you don't have to be here anymore. I think that's huge. So, you know, I would say even in your interactions, maybe a great way to start out is when you're planning and you're writing down notes to go into these conversations to be able to make sure that you're going to pray about and even be praying in the midst of the conversation. God, I want to offer words that help bring life and hope to people 
not death and finality. So we hope that these words have brought you hope yes. as you're listening to this. And I know managing conflict is hard. It, it's a necessary thing within the ministry. We're going yep. to do it all the time, even when we don't want to. Uh, and so I, I know some of you listening are <laughs> exhausted. You're tired. Yes. You, you deal with conflict all the time. You go from one meeting where you're somebody is is complaining about you know the music was too loud last Sunday yeah. to the next meeting where somebody's <laughs> complaining about another staff member who's not leading their ministry well yeah. Yeah. to the next meeting being someone who is about to divorce their spouse because mm-hmm. things are not going well and they mm-hmm. want you to pick a side and like. It just gets exhausting, right? We just deal yeah. with conflict after conflict after conflict. And I want you to know that we, we see you. We know where you're at. We're, we're there. We understand that. And I hope that as you think through conflict and the way that we presented it here and the different references, scripture references yeah. that we pointed to, that those are encouraging and hopeful to you, giving, of, giving life to you for uh, the conflicts that you're going to have to face in the upcoming days. I think a great a great way to end this and to leave it is to say, don't be overwhelmed that conflict is inevitable, but be hopeful that conflict doesn't have to be unhealthy. And uh, and so, listen, on behalf of myself and Antonio slash Michael, uh, <laughs> we just we want to tell you guys, have a great day. May your coffee stay hot and your ministry be healthy. We're the Mad Pastors. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to the Mad Pastors podcast today. We hope that you found it not only encouraging, but beneficial that you have people in your corner doing ministry. Here's what we'd love for you to do. If you'd subscribe, review, and share our podcast, that would mean the world to us, and it'd help as many pastors to hear and be encouraged just like you were. G6 is also supported by partners and allies like you who are willing to financially give and be a part of this ministry with us. So if you feel like you'd like to be a part of this with us, just go to g6allies.com slash partner. And we'd love for you to become our ally in our mission to serve pastors and their families. If you have questions, comments, or just want to talk more with us about your particular ministry needs, just email us at hello at g6allies.com. We can't wait to see you next time for our next episode.